accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We are continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and right now we are up to the episode called Heart of Stone. It's the 14th episode of the third season, aired on February 6th, 1995, written by Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, directed by Alexander Singer. In this episode, searching for a Maki Raider on an unstable moon, Kira is trapped in an expanding crystal formation that threatens to engulf her if Odo cannot set her free. Meanwhile, Nog attempts to persuade a skeptical Commander Benjamin Sisko to write him a letter of recommendation to join Starfleet Academy. We've got another patron-guested episode. We're joined by Isaac. Isaac, how are you? Hey, not too bad. How are you, Wes? Good. Good, thank you. Um, we're going to be talking about an important episode in the, the lives of two members of our cast here, with uh, Odo and Nog. And you had um, you'd requested this episode. Uh, uh, if people aren't familiar with patrons... On Patreon, if you're on a certain tier of support, you can guest host an episode every once in a while, and you would chose this one. So do you want to just, before we get into talking about the episode, why did you choose this one? Sure. So I guess a little bit of reference about me. I've actually been a huge Star Trek fan whole life. Um, DS9 is definitely my favorite of the shows, and I've seen it um, two and a half times. <laughs> so I think this episode's pretty important just for setting the stage for um, character arcs moving forward and it also deals with two of my favorite characters in the show which is kira and odo so i thought i can bring a little bit more perspective onto where these characters kind of at currently in the show and seeing where they kind of progress from here sure sounds good so we are going to talk about heart of stone i'm going to take a break we're going to play an audio clip and then we're going to break it down odo why are you still standing there i told you to get out of here i'm not leaving constable i gave you a direct order you can order me all you want. As of now, I'm resigning my commission. Otto, if you stay here, you'll die. You don't know that for certain. And even if it were true, I'm not going to abandon you. I want you to get out of here. Don't you understand? I can't! You have to. Otto, please. I won't leave you. Why? Because! Because. I'm in love with you. All right. So, Heart of Stone, interesting episode. Um, we're in a little string of interesting episodes, I think, at this point. it's a. Uh, it comes hot off the heels of the death of uh, Vedic Barile in the episode prior to this. In life support, so Kira is a free woman, uh, ready to wheel and deal in the uh, the avenues of love or something like that. I suppose, although Kira is oddly, yes. um, there's something weird that they're doing with Kira at this point. Now that she is established in the show, and they seem to want to put her into romantic relationships or at least romantic plot lines that aren't quite at the stage of being a relationship, Kira is slowly losing her agency as a character unfortunately um both of these episodes life support and heart of stone 
she is not really involved in a storyline that should prominently involve her. Here it's a little bit more understandable and life support it was unforgivable on some level that she didn't have much to do in that episode and it was somehow mm. a Bashir episode. This one is plot dependent on her not being involved in it. But Yeah, I was going to say like it's the weird. whole plot is pretty much her not being her, so it's like <laughs> it is, It's pretty literal in this sense. It is, but it's a it's an odd decision. Like it's a, it makes sense to do the storyline to do it this way. Although DS9 seems to also be falling back a little bit on the um, reveal things and then flip it around at the end so that nothing has actually changed. They did that in the search. Um, they do it here. It's not, it's not a fault, I don't think, but it's kind of a cheat on some sort of writing level, um, I think. But I'll, I'll fire it off to you. What, what do you? What do you like or uh, dislike? How do you want to talk about this episode uh, going forward from here? Um, yeah, so I actually, going back through it, enjoyed the episode far more than I was almost expecting to. Um, I had vague memories of this episode reaching back when I first started watching the show. I remember it being a bit awkward in some scenes. Like There was a surprising amount of close-ups, especially on non-visitor's face there, which kind of made me feel just like, this is... This is edited very strangely in some scenes. Um, but at the same time, I feel like the episode has an interesting bearing on the direction they want to take on these characters. So it's funny. I know you did the episode a few episodes back with um, Matt with Fascination. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the episode that kind of set the, the stage for Odo's character arc of having a thing for Kira. And it's interesting in that episode, which I don't think is particularly good. It had a, actually a pretty interesting scene in the beginning before everything kind of starts um, with Luxana, where Odo is actually talking to Kira because um, he wants to, you know, join her for the festival, right? Um, and you see in that scene where, you know, everything's nice and he's really excited to go with her until she says that she's going with Vedic Barile. So you can kind of even see that that was kind of something that was happening outside of the events of that episode. Um, and you can kind of see how their dynamic is shifting away in a way, yeah. through the lenses of Odo. So I like how this episode continues that, um, because obviously Odo doesn't know what's going on for the vast majority of the situation. So for to him, it feels like this is just a really dire situation where he can express himself in ways that he otherwise couldn't. Um, so I like how the episode sets the stage to put characters out of their comfort zones. I think it's probably a major theme of this episode, is setting characters out of their comfort zones, right? I mean, that's the whole thing going on with Nog, is him trying to push himself to be um, not his father. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I don't think the episode's like perfect or anything. Um, like I said, I think it has a few directing issues. Um, the pacing is okay. Um, I like the reveal. I, I, I just I, I feel that the episode isn't like, you know, it it, it stands on its merits, but I don't, I'm not sure if it's like one of the episodes that just screams i have to watch this you know um i enjoy watching it especially for the character interactions but i'm not sure if it's one of those episodes i would tell somebody who's never seen this show you have to watch this episode maybe just for the setup of the character arcs but beyond that there's not a lot here to warrant you know going through it yeah it's funny because ds9's now at a point where the serialization is so heavy yet not heavy at the same time. Like it's not overtly one episode leading into the the next one 
but things yeah, things are hybrid. so dependent on understanding the situations at this point like thinking about clay who's watching along with these somehow in our entire run through of the episodes clay has missed the like five or six episodes where they hint that odo has a thing for kira <laughs> somehow mm. um he's never he's never managed I- to land on one and so i imagine that when this storyline props pops back up on his first episode he's gonna think it came out of nowhere <laughs> right um, well it's it's funny i remember listening to some of the old podcasts of you and clay going through season one i remember him saying like i think a couple occasions where it's like does does kira have a thing for for cisco sure <laughs> like he almost thought that was like the, the situation it's like i was laughing out loud because obviously i've seen the show so it's like oh this is <laughs> this is quite interesting yeah they i um, mean they they do it subtly they they really don't hammer this in at any way like you could say that nog's storyline here is more out of the blue than the odo and kira storyline but the odo and kira storyline i think functions naturally and i think it comes from a place where maybe you could say that they started this in necessary evil would be like the origin of it and then fascination Mm -hmm. is where they like overtly bring it up because loxana uh points it out that she senses the love in him for kira but i think that i think it's Timing wise, it's a very odd episode to have immediately after life support. Like, I I think I want to start there because it's such a getting rid of Burial in that way. And then immediately going into this episode feels like the writers are just trying to wash their hands of a bad story there and they want to go in this new direction. And it feels like a betrayal to the Burial and Kira characters. Like, I don't. I don't know how good of a relationship writing this can be if Kira can just swing back and forth so freely between these two without, like, the, you know, Briel is dead at the end of the previous episode, and this episode is her off on a merrymaking adventure with Odo. It's like a, it's just a weird timing issue of stuff. Do you do you have any problems with it, or do you think anything about it? Um, not really. I mean, the thing is, for, I mean... Before I start, actually, so if Clay listens to most of these, should I just disregard future events in this show? Because I don't want to give anything away, obviously. Yeah, I mean, we you can hint that they, you can say that they, obviously the relationship builds between these two, okay. but I think we should probably, I guess, just focus on where it stands now uh, and sort of avoid specific future events, I guess would be a good way to sure. say Sure. Okay. Um, right, so what was, what was the question again? Well, I'm just saying that the uh, the abruptness of their... The abruptness oh, right. of the Between Kira storyline, I think, is doing a disservice to Kira, who's actually probably one of the strongest characters on the show at this point, because they're they're removing Kira from any sort of character control over her relationship. She's in the dark about this one. In Briel's episode where he dies, she has nothing to do with it. It's like they're not even really dating. She calls him Briel, which is bizarre because his name is Antos, I think is something is his first name. She should call him Antos. Mm. And she calls yeah. him, she's in a relationship with a guy and he's dying and she calls him Briel. It's very funny to me. Well, isn't it like last name, first name? It is, but his, I think his name is Briel Antos, I think. Oh, I see. I think. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, well, anyway, I mean, does it portray her character? I wouldn't say it does. Um, this episode, and, you know, without giving anything away, most future episodes involving Kira and Odo seem to be more auto focused, um, more so than seeing Kira's her, her perception on the situation. So, like, it's most of the things are typically presented through Odo's lens, um, which, so fit, this which fits this episode. So, so why do you, why right. do you think that is? Um, 
Why do you think it's in Lo- in Odo's lens, not hers? Yeah. Why does Kira not have any feedback? I mean, it doesn't make sense in the. It doesn't work in this plot line because she has to be hidden from it. But why right. do you think the writers are more interested in Odo's perspective than Kira's? Which is something that I agree is something that they continue going forward. Hmm. Um. It might. I mean, I don't know the specifics of it. I don't know the behind the scenes with this from an in lore perspective. It seems that, and obviously without giving anything away, it seems that there's a buildup between seeing how far entrenched Odo's relationships with humanoids become. Um, obviously, this episode showcases um, the founder's disapproval of that happening. So it, it seems that the focus is on Odo because they want to show, you know, where he is in relationship to, you know, now that he knows what he is, what is he going to do with the information? Yeah. Um, but as to the placement of it, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably a bit too on the nose, (laughs) I would say. I mean, I'm okay with it because, I mean, Odo is an infinitely more interesting character (laughs) than Burial, like, on every way. Um, and I do think it was a complete and utter failure of Burial's character. Um, so, not to say I'm happy he's gone or anything, but I'm, I'm glad that you've moved past, like, like, DS9 has a very good reputation of, realizing their missteps and correcting them. Um, other Trek shows will kind of just roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. And for the longest of times, I mean, I think Harry Kim from Voyager comes to mind here, you just will not give them anything interesting to do. Right. And just assume that's how the status quo has to be. Yep. Versus DS9 tends to always question itself. Um, it questions what they can do with the formula. So, you know, in, like in TNG, like you might have like the one-off romances. And I felt like DS9, maybe with Burial, felt that they had to kind of have that almost as a checkbox of, okay, we need to have this outside character to give a bit more dynamic to this character. Well, it seems to be not working, so maybe let's try to go in a different direction with it. So I, I can appreciate that. Um, and, yeah, I don't, I don't think it bothers me that much. It's because I, I don't think I'd mind if there was either a little bit more time or if the... I mean, I, I guess it is just a mistake of Brile storyline existing in the first place. But I, I feel right. that it's a for how strong of a character that Kira is, she's been, I think, disserviced by the storylines here. Which is a it's kind of a cliche in writing that like the, uh, in the relationship, the male will be the the driving force here, and it's causing mm-hmm. Kira's character to sort of take a back seat on some level. And maybe it's not a problem here. But it's odd that they've been paired together. And I think that going forward, they'll obviously, Kira won't be a changeling going forward, which will, be, which will fix a lot of are, it. Are you sure about that? I mean, she could be the female changeling this whole time. It could be, yeah. The infiltration <laughs> might have started uh, early or something. But I think yeah. that, it, like, it, the episode works for me because it is a Odo storyline and everything about Odo works really well here. The... Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that it's being paired off against this weird sort of weakness on the other half of it, but it, she doesn't know yet. It's all about uh, Odo's internal feelings, and I think that it works there on that level, and um, Aubergine does a great job of selling it. I just feel like Kira should have had maybe a Aftermath episode. Um, maybe not an entire episode dedicated to it, but just maybe a, a handful of scenes just of her to recollect on her relationship with Burial. Maybe just give some closure to that before moving on. Yeah, you know, I I would agree um, that that I I feel, 
I feel that would have been appropriate for the, for the story. Yeah. It's I don't know if yeah. these were written right after each other or what the story would be Could there, but I mean, do you do you think that it's a cheat for the way that they're trying to build this relationship, the way that they end this, where basically none of this has actually really happened between characters? We've just used a changeling to expose how Odo feels. I feel like it is a cheat, but I'm okay with it because of what they do with it. So. If it was a cheat, but like if nothing happened because of it, I would be pretty upset. But the fact that it still has lasting repercussions, so it it moves forward the storyline of Odo and his perception of the founders. It gives more insight into what the founders think about Odo and what they're trying to gain from him. Um, what what do you think? You know, I mean, yeah. Do you, do you think this episode says anything about what the founders want from Odo? Yeah, I would say it definitely does. Um, you know, I mean, back in the search, they very much were trying to show Odo that this is just the way. Like, that he is very much in a different, like, hostile environment, being with the Solids. And you can definitely get a good glimpse that the founders want Odo to return. Um, but they never really could pin down why. I mean, it, it's interesting that Kira's also in that episode. So it, it, I think it kind of works, too, that the uh, female changing would assume that Kira's probably the most likely candidate. Yeah considering that every time she's seen Odo, it's always been Kira with him. Um, so I, I think that kind of ties in nicely as well. Um, it fits with their, um, at that point too, because that's after Necessary Evil, Odo would have had uh, feelings for her, and the changelings, as they constantly say, are good observers of others. So right. uh, it, it right. makes sense that they would kind of pick up on that. And um, it, it, I, I think what's what's funny about it is that the, it it shows the schism between Odo and the founders on some level too, because Odo, they're such good shapeshifters that Odo can't recognize them, which I think is important to mm. realize that when the shapeshifters are in another form, Odo can't recognize what the, what they are, um, mm-hmm. which is neat. I don't really understand how she shot herself with the phaser and didn't hurt herself. <laughs> well, see, my interpretation is that she was shooting the crystal. She was trying to like speed up the process because they had a shot of them explaining that the phaser would increase the rate of its progression. But she's shooting the changeling at that point, isn't she? Isn't that well, isn't that the changeling? Right. Well, she is the changeling at that point. Like, right. Well, from from her being in the stone onward, she is the changeling. Right? right. So there is no stone. Well, the stone is still part of the ruse, right? So like, so she's more so like the changeling herself is Kira. And the stone, like the, the yeah. stone itself, is part of the changeling, right? Yeah. That's why Odo can't get a good reading on it. So, my interpretation is that she was shooting the stone to, like, speed up the process without it being suspicious. So, like, if Odo went to the runabout and came back, and the stone was like, you know, up to her her knees or whatever, he'd be like, "Well, why did it grow so fast?" You know. Um, but did, did, I, I wonder. Are we? I so the. So changeling Kira shooting herself is the changeling mm-hmm. shooting herself with the phaser, right? We, do we, we do we agree about right. that? Right. Or- well, I mean, I, I could be wrong. I mean, I'm not saying this is definitive. I was, that was just my my thoughts because I think that the goal there was for her to get to the point where she's fully encased, to where she can start to work on Odo effectively. Gotcha. As you know, but but yeah, I mean that 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 could also be a case that's you know. Turn, different as well. I don't turn it down to turn it down to level one out of sixteen or whatever the thing is, and just oh yourself. yeah, well, this uh, <laughs> phasers are the most like plot convenient things ever um, in Star Trek. Yeah, and and I think that the 
I think that the Odo and the the Odo storyline is the meat and potatoes of the episode. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, the Nog storyline is the sort of B plot that ties onto it. But I, I think that Abhijanwa impresses me at this point. I think he's probably one of the top, maybe top three actors that the series, the um, the franchise has had to this point. It would be your other two, uh, probably Patrick Stewart and Spiner probably would be up there oh, okay um gotcha and odo i think would be in third place around there and depending on what he's asked to do we might actually be higher than that but um mm-hmm. it's a really strong reveal for him and it's a lot you get probably more backstory on odo than you've had in other episodes like um the one where dr mora comes around and <laughs> sort of teaches you about oh, odo but you learn a lot more interesting stuff about odo in this uh, episode is so did anything stick yeah. out to you as something that you really enjoy about the odo perspective in this one yeah um well I, it impressed me and i remember this the first time i watched it that it impressed me that he got to the point where he would say that he loved kira um because that's very significant to the kind of character odo is um, he is someone who it is, it's very hard to crack his, his shell, you know? Um, and I like how this whole kind of situation is built upon just breaking his, his, um, you know, his, his barrier, if you will. Yep. Um, to just really just kind of let it all out in the, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that that was played very well. Um, I also, I really enjoyed his speech to Kira. Um, where he was like talking about his origin as well, I, I think that that really showed Odo's. It was almost it was pretty much Odo explaining to himself like how far he's come as a character. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it was a good insight into seeing what him now on DS Nine means to him. Because the thing is, DS Nine in the past when it was Tarek Noor, I mean it it was just a job, right? It was just him security. But you can kind of get the feeling now that it's more about the sense of community that he's been a part of. Um, and now that he knows what he is, he can feel a bit more closure as to what he wants to be. And Kira's a big part of that for him. So I, I think that, yeah, well, pretty much every scene that showcases Odo kind of letting his mask fall and just just laying it all out there is, is really well done. And yeah, as you said, I mean, I love Odo's actor. I mean, it's he does amazing work. I, I think partially what makes it, works so well is that um even in the previous episodes kira and oda voice has had some of the best chemistry personally yeah i always thought i mean i'm, I'm a bit biased because i they're like they're probably my two favorite main characters on the show i mean if i had to list my favorite ds9 characters it's probably like oda kira um and all of them are, and the rest are probably just the recurring ones sure. like ducat um you know garrick garrick I, yeah just <laughs> so you know i i feel like both of these characters stand a really strong like solo like, I mean, there's obviously we have very strong Kira episodes up to this point, and obviously in the future, same with, same with Odo. Um, so I think just having both characters together in that sense, even if I know the Kira is a bit, you know, sidelined to more of the Odo focus, even just having the two of them play off of each other, is, I think is really, really well done. And I think and I think the actor, I cannot pronounce his last name. I believe <laughs> it's Aubergeois, I, I think. Aubergenois. I'm probably pronouncing that okay. wrong. Yeah. yeah, I know it's Reen, yeah. So Reen Aubergeois. So I... I I, I feel like he almost feels like I can almost feel the actor being a bit more comfortable when he plays with Nana Visitor. Um, like I, I just think that his scenes with her in particular just really highlights just the 
like ironically enough the humanity yep. that Odo as a character can bring to the show. Yeah. Um I mean even I think even back to the cold opening with them on the runabout, I mean just you know I, I feel like if that was any other character say so say in that first scene that was like say O'Brien, right? And like O'Brien was trying to question Odo about, you know, why he's a bit grumpy or whatever. Yeah. Um I feel like it that scene would have played a bit more like coldly. I, I feel like Odo wouldn't have been able to express himself in a way that made him feel like, you know, this is what I want. You'd, you'd probably either, you know, change the subject or make O'Brien in some way feel like he's being, you know, he's Invasive. pressing on him yeah. too much. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so, but, so the fact that, that Kira in particular has just the right way of approaching Odo and making him feel like he's comfortable enough to explain his feelings, even if it's something so trivial as just him, her wanting to, ask him what he felt on a situation I, I think that's a good touch so I, yeah I mean I I really really do appreciate pretty much every scene <laughs> between these two in this episode I, I think that the it's an interesting uh, way to think about it is to think about if O'Brien was in there asking o- Odo why he didn't want to go to dinner or whatever they're talking about but it's a yeah. um, the, the, what's funny about that to me the, the opening cold open is to me somewhat clearly written as a silly relationship argument that those two are having mm. Um, what's interesting to me is that Odo is written as the traditional female in that. And it's, it's a, they like flipped it around on him where Odo is being a little bit sort of moody and not willing to, um, he, he kind of has a problem with a very minor issue that Kira just kind of, in the sort of like stereotypically masculine way, Kira thought she'd take the reins and not bother Odo with the problem. And Odo is upset about it. Um, mm-hmm. that's interesting to me that they flip them like that. And I think that the, the writing there is strong because it, it hints at the relationship that isn't there at that point. And just the conversation that they're having, and as you say, the level of comfort that they have with each other allows Odo to, uh, bring up this issue that he just feels somewhat slighted by not being asked if he wants to go to dinner, right. even though he doesn't want to go in the first place. <laughs> oh, I, I love, I love the actors, like his grunts. Like, yeah, yeah. He's, it's, oh, so good. Same with, um, <laughs> when he is, uh, when he says he can't leave, he's very good. At, he's he's a very good at emotional actor, and Odo is a emotional character in a way that we haven't really seen before. He's not. Um, he 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 sort of holds everything inside, so his frustration boils over more than anything else, and he is mm-hmm. repressed on that level. Um, but I think he's he's really really strong in all the scenes here that those two have together, and I think Nana Visitor is actually intentionally overacting here uh because her yeah. scenes where she's stuck in the rock she's not doing great work but i think it's supposed to be the changeling not being able to mimic her effectively yeah i, I kind of thought that too i mean you know obviously you have the three different core elements that odo picks up on that makes him understand that yeah this isn't quite what it seems to be but um yeah curious acting in this episode you know I, I think it gets a bit more of a pass once you understand the twist yeah um, she's a little emotional i think i describe her as overly emotional in the face of this danger which is not to minimize the danger but i don't think real kira would lose it quite the way that kira does here and i think it's mm-hmm. the changeling trying to be over the top and overly emotional to get odo to crack a little bit sooner well i think it's also the founder's perception on the solids because i don't think that the founders think that solids are particularly strong-willed um you know, so I, I think that is probably a bit of it as well, because, yeah, I mean, I think just like that, what that, what that one uh, conversation 
where Odo is talking about like him with O'Brien and I love that. I love that beat too. That's a very funny um it's a funny story to bring up that Odo goes kayaking. Oh, the kayaking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well and that's I mean again, that's again highlighting uh Odo's, you know, his character, but with um with him enjoying something because you know you, you don't you don't expect that to be a thing yeah and, at all <laughs> and, um, i think it's all worth it for the the joke that uh odo says he's into big like ancient earth uh sea shanties and he sings louis louis <laughs> it's, it's, oh right <laughs> that's a good yeah joke. that's a good that's yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah so I, there's i think i think it's either directly after that that uh scene where odo is trying i think odo's trying to cure, cheer up kira right um, and he asks her. Anyway, I guess I guess he tells her. Does he tell her that things are going to get better? Yeah. And that just you know just try to stay calm. Um, we'll get through and this. Kira has right, and Kira has like the pessimistic attitude, which throws Odo off. Like it's not one of the things that makes him suspect her per se. Yeah. But it kind of just was one of those things of like, oh, I thought that in this kind of situation that you know you would say that we'll we'll persevere and get through this. Yeah. So, you know it's. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how they how they play it off like that. Yeah, that's his. Um, it's a very data esque moment of Odo reads mystery novels, and he thinks that uh, pe- people not buying into the cliche of we're going to get through this or whatever is something um, that he is not expecting because he expects people to write that. Although neither of them are human, right. so I feel that there's a it's true. There's a way to. Um, I'm kind of surprised, but I'm kind of surprised that when there's no human characters in a scene, that the other characters aren't kind of talking shit about them behind their back i feel yeah. i feel like it's an open uh world of uh exploration before the dialogue that you could have about two non-humans talking about starfleet like this. well i mean it, it's it's pretty much the star trek tradition that the most human characters on the show are the least human yeah sure. it, it's <laughs> the know? easiest i mean it's the easiest way to um write those stories like spock data and uh odo yeah. although would Odo uh, Odo kind of fits in that role i suppose odo does fit and he's the outsider well character. he's a well he's a special kind of i mean Odo, I feel like, is not trying to be human as much as trying to be humanoid. He wants to be himself. He yeah, he's, he's trying to be true to, true to himself, yeah, I think would be a good right. way to describe it. And I think that's actually, um, that's a good place to switch it, because you had mentioned what you thought the theme of the episode was. I think the theme of the episode is how to be true to yourself, which ties into the Nog storyline. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. I'll just say briefly, I think the Nog storyline is sort of brilliant, and it's actually better than the Odo and Kira storyline here in this episode really? for me. That's I think that the interesting. I think that the Nog storyline is the most mature, simple B plot that the show has ever done to this point, and it's kind of remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly in the fact that they set everything up. They show you the Nog working in the bar with his father and Quark scene, where Quark is sort of yelling at Rom to fix the thing. Right. And they don't tell you right then and there that that's the reason, even though you understand that's the reason why Rom doesn't want to be in the Ferengi sort of business mercantile thing anymore. He wants to go into Starfleet. Yeah, it's, it's really gone replay. Yeah, and they, they reveal it at the end. And the reveal at the end also totally fits into everything that you know about the Ferengi as characters to this point. So it's, it's this character switch that seems like it comes out of nowhere, but it actually makes 100% sense, as opposed to... The Odo and Kira thing kind of feels rushed to me a little bit. The Rom thing feels like perfect in how they reveal stuff like that. What you, would you think of Rom's storyline here? Yeah, I really loved it. I mean, um, I think Nog in particular is one of those characters that really grow on you 
I keep saying Rom too, but I mean, I mean Nog. Oh, right. Well, I mean, both characters, I think, do that, but especially Nog. I think Nog is one of those characters that I, I feel that the more you watch him, the more you kind of get a good grasp of what this character is really kind of like, and that he's a bit more in-depth than, you know, the actor tries to maybe play it off as. And I think this is the, one of the key episodes that kind of showcase, you know, what Nog is really all about. Yep. Um, which is really cool. I think the actor also um, blows away any previous performance he's ever done in the series. Like he, yeah, he actually comes across as a real actor in this one. The final scene with Cisco is very, very effective. Surprisingly effective for some for a character that's basically been a joke to this point. That's true. I really love every scene with him and Cisco from his like from Nog's point of view. Um, I love the first scene with the latinum. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. just keeps trying to give Cisco the latinum. I mean, even after the conversation's over. He's like, um, Nog, aren't you forgetting something? No, no, let's keep it. <laughs> like, he's that adamant. I, I love, I love the sincerity of Nog in this episode too. I mean, you you have him in one scene of pretty much every character he's connected to, right? So you have scenes with him, with Cisco, with Jake, with Rom and Quark, right? Um, and typically, if 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 Ferengi has ulterior motives, like what these nine, pretty much any um, Ferengi scene will do, they'll have you'll have a scene that kind of let the audience know what the true motives of this character kind of is, right? Yep. Um, but the fact that he's consistent through all of this, I mean, the first time I remember watching this episode, I was just waiting for the scene where, you know, it was a fluke. I was waiting, you know, where the, if the, not the with scam him, is exposed, yeah. Yeah, if, if not with Cisco, then maybe with Jake, and if not with Jake, then maybe Rom, or, or, or maybe it's not quite a fluke, but maybe it's almost like a half-truth kind of a deal. Yep. Um, but the fact that he's just so adamant and genuine the whole way through... And I love like like Dax's reaction to it, like when he, uh, you know, clears the cargo bay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's great <laughs> seeing like yeah, like he, this dude did this by himself in like under five hours. <laughs> yes, yeah. like you know, it, I, I love everyone's universal kind of just whoa, you know, to to nog in this episode. My only real gripe, I guess, if you want to call it that, is Cisco's like his progression of his perception on what's going on with Nog is a bit jarring, I guess. I don't know. So, like, so he, like, so Nog calls it out early on that, you know, he thinks that the main reason Cisco doesn't want to do this is because he's a Ferengi, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which Cisco just immediately just writes off and says, no, that's not a reason at all. It's the fact that you've, you know, done all of these mischievous things throughout, you know, so far in the show and all this. Yeah, you're a piece um, of shit, Nog, actually. Is the reason right, right, right. Well, well and then, like, in the last scene, where, like, once... So once Cisco learns from Dax that, you know, yeah, he's a really hard worker, he's done all of these things, but nobody still knows, you know, why he is doing all this, um, that's, like, the main thing Cisco opens with. It's just, like, you're a Ferengi. Like, you don't... It's, like... So so it is racial, then, or, I guess, specious, or whatever, but... Well, I think... I think- so... so Well, I I think that the, uh, my understanding is that, I guess you could say it's mirroring the Kira, the changeling is Kira thing. I think Cisco is playing up that anger at the end to make Rom admit something. I think think the storylines are actually mirroring each other there, where the overly emotional Kira is trying to get Odo to crack, and Cisco's overly insulting approach is to get Nog to explain why he wants to do this in the first place. So... Well, they they never admit it. I think Cisco's motivations and uh, process make sense on some level. Uh, did you, did you just not find it believable, or did you find it to be too uh, sort of schizophrenic in its approach? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I found it believable. I just think it's not, it's not the way I would have written that scene, just because I... When, well, I don't want to get into much spoilers, but the thing is, I... Cisco is one of these characters I almost progressively like like less <laughs> as the show continues because I feel that they start to write Cisco in a much more aggressive way, yeah. But not just towards you know his adversaries, but even like his colleagues. Um, I mean, I know like you know once he gets the hair shaved off, he becomes much more of a badass. I, I understand that's kind of the point, but like it's a it's a one to one relationship. The more bald you are, the more <laughs> of a badass you are to people. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, it just it always just kind of jarred me a bit. Cisco's character just just when it came to any situation where just I I feel like the problem is situations like these where it's really not warranted. I feel yeah. I just think that sometimes Cisco just goes a little too over the top with just his either his frustration or just how aggressive he is towards people who you know don't have any real reason to have someone get that upset over it. Sure. Now I, under- now, I understand what you're saying, and that, you know, I know that this is probably played up and um, and all this, although I feel like they could have solved that by maybe having a little bit extra exposition um, between, like, the scene in the bar with uh, Dax and Cisco. Yeah. Or maybe just Cisco thinking to himself, okay, maybe I should, you know, crack on, on this section of, of Nog and see, like, you know, why is he doing this, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but as it stands, I mean, yeah, it's... I, th- I think it's done well. It just, I almost, I almost kind of just feel the, you know, the the groans in my brain of like, oh no, this is, this is where it's starting. Sure, I mean, it's a, <laughs> the, it's an interesting point because I think I'd, I think I'd counter with saying that I think Cisco is actually portrayed too meekly in the earlier seasons. Um, mm. My understanding of what they would be looking for in Cisco's role would be someone who would be aggressive enough to handle all of the disparate elements that make up this station at some point. Like he he needs to be a he needs to be a little bit more of a crack the whip kind of commander who is more aggressive with the people and they actually do the other way around. They make it seem like he's much more of a father figure to the crew than Picard ever was. And I think that it's a it's an interesting decision and it's a weird sort of relationship that you could actually say works because he needs to build something from where they started. Like he needs to be the person who sort of gets everyone on board with everything and be nice to everybody. But I actually think mm-hmm. I actually think the schism of his character there where he can be super aggressive or super friendly works as a character beat. I think the Brooks performance sometimes is a little schizophrenic in a way that doesn't help the scenes, although I think the character is written appropriately. Um, but it's a very theatrical yeah, well, performance from Avery Brooks sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and obviously that also gets amped up as the show progresses as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Cisco is also a very, he's just a much more flawed character. Obviously he's probably the most flawed captain out of the five. Yep. Um, just as a baseline character. I mean, he has probably the most, you know, like hard hitting backstory out of any of them. Yeah. Um, and he has so many things pulling at him. So, like, um, I know this has been a, a plot thread that's been dropped for a long time, um, but obviously he's connected to Bajor um, and the Prophets. He has the angle of being a Starfleet commander. He has the angle of being a father, or a, soul, a single father. Yeah. Um, you know, and then he has always all the issues going on in the wormhole. So, yeah. Yeah. He's the I, most distrusting I, of Starfleet to this. Well, he's the most uh, cynical right, about Starfleet. Well, and that kind of... He also... He's, he's, Honestly, Cisco's in a lot of ways the vocal point of the show. 
and and like it's kind of its themes of um DS9's version of what they kind of view Starfleet as. Yep. And that the Federation isn't quite as squeaky clean as especially TNG and TOS made it out to be. Yep. Yep. Um so yeah. Dude um but I think that's that's pretty much I I, I like the the way that the uh the Nog storyline kicks off. I think that's a really the the reason that I like it, just to clarify for people, is that it is cleanly written. It is not treat the audience as stupid, and it works sort of perfectly. There's not a lot of conflict in that storyline. It's not like it's a standalone episode that you could build. It's not a storyline that you could build an episode around, but it works perfectly as this little mm-hmm. B story. And I think some people, uh, if I'm remembering some of the patron comments, think that they're a little bit disconnected. I don't think they're disconnected at all. I think they're really subtly linked to each other, where they're both about characters trying to be true to what they are, which is Odo trying to be true to his feelings and his sense as a detective, like he can't resist not solving the mystery. And then it's to Nog wanting to be true to what he is and not just become a Ferengi because he's born into that and he wants to be better than that. He wants to be better than what his father got out of it. So that's the thematic tie for me anyway. Uh, Yeah, that's a solid one. Let's see here. So I think we're done with that. We're going to take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Isaac are going to come back. We're going to give our final thoughts. We'll read some patron thoughts and react to it. And then we will call it a day. I want to join Starfleet. I want it more than anything I've ever wanted in my life. You're a Ferengi. Why would you want to be in Starfleet? Where's the profit in it? I don't care about profit. Then what do you care about? Come on, Nog, tell me. Why is it so damned important that you get into Starfleet? Why are you doing this? Because I don't want to end up like my father. Your father. That's right. My father. He's been chasing profit his whole life. And what has it gotten him? Nothing. And you know why? Because he doesn't have the lobes. And neither do I. All right. So, patron thoughts. If you support the show on patreon.com slash thepenskyfile couple dollars a month, two dollars a month, I think, is what it takes to leave comments. So they changed that recently, but everyone is at that level, so it didn't really impact everybody. But um, if you are at that level, you can leave thoughts about upcoming episodes. We read them on the podcast, and we react to them. So, Christian Pouch says, Heart of Stone. Forgot this was literally right after life support. Poor timing for Odo. I really like this episode because I like any time Kira and Odo get to play off each other. I really feel for Odo confessing his love, only to realize Kira is a fake because she, he knows she doesn't love him back, and will come to see it isn't even close. Second amazing part of Heart of Stone is Nog's subplot. Maybe not the strongest A-B plot correlation, but I don't care because it's so heartwarming seeing Nog trying to prove himself, his despair possibly ending up like his poor dad, and his joy at getting his chance. Love it. Um, I would just add on to that. The the other reason I love the Nog episode is that it takes the Ferengi interplay between Quark, Rom, and Nog, and it exposes how deep and dark and abusive their relationship is in a way that doesn't feel like it comes out of nowhere like it's perfectly in tune with how we feel about those characters and how those characters interact with each other on a daily basis it's just the other side Mm -hmm. of the coin it's not comedy anymore it's like the it's 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 how jokes hurt or something like that is the lesson (laughs) learned from that story but i think it's really clever Hmm. yeah i mean in that first scene too like quirk is like 
completely in the wrong there. Yes. And yet, and yet the scene just plays it as, you know, he's still the one kind of vindicating himself. Um, Quirk's, Quirk's kind of a nasty piece it. of work. I guess the you know the Ferengi the show's a little bit over the all over the map with them as trying to portray the Ferengi as a decent culture that is on par with humanity. But I think that the the Ferengi are probably one of the most flawed uh, cultures in in terms of like if you were to to graft Ferengi culture into like real world America at this point, I think the Ferengi actually stick out the most out of anybody, um, mm. especially coming off of life support with the terrible. Nog goes on a date subplot, uh, which is fairly terrible. Stephen Cobb says, Heart of Stone, great character episode for Nog and Odo. It's nice to see Nog fleshed out into a much more in-depth person. Odo's history about his name, how he feels about it, the cold opening grumbling about dinner invitations, and how the DS9 crew have changed his perception of himself made for some amazing writing and very interesting character development. However, I still find this episode a bit boring. Rewatching the episode was, for me, way more rewarding than the first time since I could look for flaws in the Changeling's version of Kira and appreciate Nog's struggle to express his feelings about his father's life. That's a good point, I think. Yeah, this this whole episode has really strong replay value. Yes, I think um, it does, yeah. For both plots. So, um, you mentioned pacing, too. Yeah, I mean, the pacing, I, well, I guess the uh, it being boring. Yeah, so, like, it being boring and pacing, I, I didn't feel like it was, like, boring at any points. I just... I just felt that some some of the scenes between Kira and Odo, I just felt like the scenes just like really lingered on like the close ups. Yeah, sure. For like really long periods of time, um, to the point it just it just became almost a bit uncomfortable to look at. I mean, so you have like Kira there, and like once like her most of her neck is covered, so like she's talking like this really like hoarse, squeaky voice. Yeah. Um, and like you know like her mascara is running and her I mean, eyes are watering and everything. It just it's 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 really just uncomfortably weird sure, how it sure. how it looks, but I don't think that's necessarily it being boring or being badly paced. I think it's just maybe just the editing and you know how it's how it's being shot. Or anything yep. else? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, film one hundred and one would be you want close ups when you're having emotional moments like this because it allows the actors to uh, emote a little bit. But I, I think it's a it's maybe a style that we don't see too often in the series because they don't really focus on those interactions too much. Um, uh there's the jake and ben cisco relationship but that's like that's more of a, a the close-ups are more about like a romantic type thing i feel like than anything else but eric mcgowan says heart of stone the odo and kira storyline has potential to be interesting but this is the one of the worst cases where the a and b plots have absolutely nothing to do with each other and it weakens the episode in my opinion interesting i disagreed with that do you isaac do you want to yeah. do you want to say your piece i don't know if you want to be tiebreaker oh <laughs> Um, no, yeah, I, I more agree with you. Um, I don't think they're the most linked. I mean, the themes, the, the, the theme you brought up, actually, I, I didn't even think about that one, so that's actually pretty strong. Um, but even if you disregard the themes, I, I'm of the opinion that you don't have to have the A and B plot be necessarily linked as long as they both can still stand on their own merits. Yep. Um, so for me, even if that's the case, it doesn't really bother me. Um, and I think, too, I think it also works just for the kind of show DS9 is. Because DS9 is more of an ensemble, an ensemble piece. Yep. So, like, so so DS9, like, especially going through like the early episodes, I just I have such an appreciation for just how this show will just just go out of its way just to show like the slice of life esque moments. Um, if if it's if it's a fully fledged B plot like this one is, or even if it's just like a casual scene in Quark's bar, or like he's talking to Morn or something. Like, I I really love those scenes, even if they're 
pointless, quote unquote, just because it just adds to the flavor of the world. Because DS9 to me is just world building the show. Yeah. Um. So you know, I yeah, I I feel like in terms of maybe the episode is it the strongest link? Probably not. But at the same time, it's just one more facet that adds, in this case, to a character, but also just to the the world of DS9 because it very much feels like a very alive, believable you know world. Um, it's one of the things that always attracts me to the show so much, and why it's my favorite Trek show probably more than anything else is just the fact that out of if I could choose, if if I could go to the Trek universe, right, I would want to be on DS9. Like that would that would be the place I would want to be. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not. Currently, yeah. <laughs> in the lore, but you know, it's <laughs> at some point in more peaceful times, sure. right? Um, because I just I love like the environment. I love like just people chilling at the promenade. I love like just the I, I love like in this episode seeing like how Nog can just casually go to like Cisco's office, right? Yeah, and just be like, hey, I got a proposition for you. Like, imagine if that was like Wes Crusher in season one TNG, right? He wouldn't even make it to the bridge, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> so Thankfully. you know, so I. I yeah, true. But regardless, I, I just I love DS9's feel when it comes to the sense of the community of it. Um, and I love how this show, and I know you've mentioned this in the past, how as the show's progressing, it, it's kind of finding what its strengths are. Um, not so much being a weird kind of zany sci-fi show like TNG and Voyager, where it's just about the, the threat of the weak or the weird alien anomaly. Now it's more about, you know, what are these characters doing yep. in this scenario? Yep. So, yeah, I... Personally, I, I think it's I think it's great. Yeah, and the uh, this is probably the best. This is the sci-fi show that DS Nine excels at. Like it's a mm-hmm. it's a it's a sci-fi angle that only serves to amplify character stuff, and it doesn't really need to be explained. I know that they they occasionally would do things well with that, like Whispers kind of comes to mind as an example where they'll mm-hmm. do good sci-fi. But for the most part, the series is better when it avoids those kinds of plots. Because it doesn't really feel like it fits in with the uh, tone that the show is best at at this point. Um, this is how they should do sci-fi. It's a sci-fi leads to character work, which is right. something TNG did occasionally. But TNG was much better at the mystery of the week sci-fi plotline than DS9 ever is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that TNG actually does better. And it's more of an episodic nature show like that. And it just it you watch those episodes and you feel okay with it. Uh, also, I think there was like zero techno babble in this episode. Now that I think about it, yes, because like, it, it doesn't. Like, was there any? They can't explain the crystal. So, well, I mean, you, I guess oh, it depends right. on what you consider. But when he's like, "I'm going to make the harmonics shift" or something, but there's no. Um, mm-hmm. They don't make up a term like a subspace anomaly or anything like that. It's all very uh, real worldy sci-fi. I guess is how I. Yeah, it. and well, they don't linger on it too. Yeah, like um, it's irrelevant. And it, right, right. Yeah, it's cool. Let's see. Uh, so we read Eric's. So thank you, Eric. Uh, Ewan Tibbetts says, Heart of Stone, although the Odo Kira plotline kind of goes bad in the last couple seasons, I thought it had a great start in this episode. The creepy concept of the growing rock is enhanced by the actor's convincing performances. The tension is, as usual, damaged by the fact that you know Kira can't die, but the added element of Odo struggling with his feelings keeps the story feeling important. The B-plot made me really root for Dog. It could have been tied in better with the A-plot, but I still really enjoyed the whole package. This episode demonstrates my favorite kind of serialization. It's a piece of a larger story, but with still distinctive and self-contained enough to be satisfying and memorable. In fact, this is the first time I've remembered an episode well enough to leave a Patreon comment. So there you go. I, I'd agree. This is the 
this is the kind of serialization that I really enjoy. It's not the Breaking Bad. It's the more Mad Men kind of thing, which Discovery is not doing whatsoever. And that's kind of one of our gripes with it. Not to get into don't, that. Don't, don't bring up that show on this. Not to get into that. This is all DS9. But it's, don't, um, don't let Clay tell you that it needed to be said in the future again. <laughs> it's a... Th- this is... <laughs> The show is really invested in that kind of serialization now. It's, it's what we talked about at the top. Mm. It's this sort of universe that you exist in and you don't need to. You can build off of things that have previously happened. You don't need to write them into the episode specifically to reference them. You can sure. you trust the audience enough to understand what's going on. As to that um, patron comments first segment, and obviously it only, again, tie into the last couple seasons, but what's your opinion on Kira and Odo as to the angle of it being now you know, Odo having a thing for Kira. Like, like, do you think it's better with this being an angle, or do you just prefer them just being flatline friends? I don't mind the relationship angle. I know that's kind of a divide. I don't have a problem with it, and I think that earlier in, maybe it might have been the DS9 podcast, we had talked about how odd it is that no one in the show really has relationships with other people. Mm. Uh, so I appreciate it for that, of going in that direction. The Star Trek writing room is never the strongest writer's room for relationship stuff um i would point yep. to the o'briens as like a prime example of that really so you, so you don't like o'brien's relationship of keiko no i think it's written i think it's written like a cliche of what marriage is like they, they don't come across to me as a truly in relationship couple they seem like they're acting <laughs> at that they're in a relationship um uh-huh. and i blame it squarely on the writing because the writing doesn't give them any 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 space to exist where they can come across as two people who know and love each other very well like and that and that includes getting into realistic fights with each other as opposed to these um silly sort of squabbles that the o'briens have all the time which feels very much like a i love lucy kind of storyline you disagree yeah i mean well i'll disagree partly um i do feel like sometimes there's squabbles i think it's kind of a product of the era too with the kind of like the situations they'll be upset about. Sure. Um, but I, I'm a big fan of Cole Meany's performance pretty much throughout, well, you know, both shows. And the fact that he has such a good way of feeling like the everyman. Um, it's so interesting that in a show like DS9, where there's so many different cultures and like alien races, how you can still have a character who is literally just the average Joe. Like there's, there's literally nothing special about O'Brien. Yep. Um, yeah, he's still a likable, interesting character. This solely off the back of Colmini's performance of him, um, and I and well, I think I think his performance suffers when he is written into those scenes with Keiko because not because okay not because of Keiko but because the the writers write him as a very um, timid husband in a way that his character doesn't seem to be timid that way outside of it. So I don't know, and Keiko is never written to be this really horrible person who's like abusive or sort of overly demanding of him she's very supportive of him so i don't understand why he's so he's deferential to the point of um like oddness there's something wrong about the way that they interact with each other to me you mean like how like how the squabbles happen of like and he squabbles being yeah and he's very he's always trying to sort of appease her and it never seems like she needs to be appeased like it's never written that way is to make sense of why he would act that way around her it's just a to me, it feels like a cliche of someone, of a writer's room that is, you know, fair to be fair, fairly geeky and maybe hasn't, maybe hasn't had that many writers who are in, like, uh, steady relationships. It just feels sure. like a sort of parody of what a relationship is to me. 
Oh, I get you. Um, yeah, I, 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 I tend to look more at the acting and the chemistry more than the writing of the scenes. Sure. In some ways, at least it comes to that. So, from a pure like chemistry standpoint, I think that Keiko works pretty well for Brian. Um, and I like how it feels like an actual like relationship. Like it, it doesn't feel like a fling. You know what I yes. mean? Yes. Like it, it, it feels like you know these people are like. Gen- like they're genuinely like in love. They're committed to like, it. I, I always to feel, it, yeah. yeah, right, right, right. Um, so I, I do really like that angle, but yeah, I mean the squabbling. I just think that maybe sometimes the reasoning of it is a bit heavy-handed. Yep. Um, so I, I can see your point there, but overall, I, I still enjoy it. I don't think it's anything too out of place. Sure. Uh, I'll just continue on here. Chad Wiley says, "Heart of Stone." This is a great episode for Odo. Rene Aubergenois really sells the unrequited, I think it's unrequited, I believe. I'm I'm ignorant there. Mm -hmm. It's unrequited love angst. At the end, (laughs) his deadpan delivery of just a slip of the tongue, nothing important, breaks my heart. Oh, yeah. Ah, jeez. On the B side, even though Nog's decision to join Starfleet seems to come out of left field, I think it really works. It makes sense since Nog has probably spent more time with humans than any other Ferengi. It's a good point, Chad. Mm. Thank you very much. Um, I agree pretty much with everything that you've said there. Uh, Matthew Ross says, as soon as this thing stops loading, Heart of Stone, a preposterous chain of events if you think of it. The Dominion would have to know the exact flight plan Odo was on and whom he was with and what they would have to do when confronted with a convenient set of circumstances right down to the stasis chamber. And that rock, Kira was eaten by a felt cloth and foam rubber. What the heck was that? Following the list of bodily episodes at season three, a very light reminder, oh yeah, the Dominion. The reveal of emotion, which was a psych-out, was pretty well played if you allow for all the other coincidences. My only question is what type of relationship would they really have? Odo turned into that vibrator again. Anyway, the concept of the expanding crystal and failed attempts to free Kira was an interesting concept and for a while felt like she was going to die. At least we know that Odo is the real nowhere man. The B-plot of Nog wanting to be in Starfleet was a little flat. No collating in the triplicate exam. Clearly with all the reports uh, that would be more... Clearly, with all the reports, that would be more worthwhile. However, the scenes between Nog and Sisko, well played, especially the frustration that the father makes one hopes for success in my own children's eyes. And what did Sisko do with the money? Obviously, he didn't buy his son new shirts. Um, what's my big... I, I disagreed with something, and I'm trying to read quickly through this. Uh, the, the preposterous chain of events. What do you think, okay. Isaac? Hmm. Um... Yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking back to the scene where the female changeling explains pretty much all of Odo's questions. Yep. Right? I think the one part where I think she just literally just doesn't give an answer is like how she got the Maquis ship. Yep. Um but at the same time I, I feel like so so when this when the episode started and they were coming back to DS9, were they front were they in the uh the Gamma Quadrant at that point? Mm, I don't think so. They were in no, I don't. They, they. Oh, they were in Prophet's Landing, right? Is yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. Ass- I can't. I can't think that it's reasonable that they were the Bajorans were settling in the Gamma Quadrant again. I, I think they were in the Alpha Quadrant. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so I guess if that's the case, I guess it's a little bit um, unbelievable. But at the same time, I mean, the the founders. I mean, they are the founders. Yeah. <laughs> There's and you know, I have to keep saying no spoilers, but. Knowing what happens and the things they're capable of doing, um, I would not put it past the changelings to go out of their way. No. Especially if it means for Odo. There um, is. To make all these scenarios happen. Their infiltration is already happening, right? 
Like that's how I is that's it? how I would justify this. That changelings are okay. in the Alpha Quadrant at this point. Um, okay. I, what episode did that start? I forget now. Uh, well, I'm, I'm just uh, th- this is my head canon sort of. So they haven't oh, they haven't okay, admitted okay. that, but gotcha. in the sense that the in the sense that the Alpha Quadrant parties are not really getting along with each other. Uh, and the changelings in this episode have shown that they can perfectly mimic things in a way that Odo can't. Uh, mm-hmm. The changelings are in the Alpha Quadrant would be my, you know, would be the, the way that I would think about this at this point. Um, yeah. And I think that the episode doesn't do anything to not make that the case. Right. Does that make sense? So the episode itself doesn't say it, but I think that with enough thought about even if you know the way things turn out, I think it's understandable that this that would be how that she gets her information about those things. Sure, and I think it almost even helps that the fact that it's shown that this was all very much planned out. Like this wasn't just like a random string of events, right? Yes. Um, like she took them to a specific planet that specifically had this issue where they could not get out a signal, couldn't transport all of this. You know, and that's a that's a character um, beat of the founders. Right, we've learned that over and over that the, the founders do not do things willy nilly. Um, right. They are extremely careful about what they do. So her whole plot makes sense um, in terms of my understanding of the, what the founders would do is that this is not out of the realm of uh, what she would do. My only question is where does she get beamed to at the very end? <laughs> um, That's true. Well, it showed like the Dominion kind of uh, whatever you call the it, transporter effect. effect. Yeah. Yeah. So I assume it's to a Dominion ship, but you know. I, I guess that's the minion ship. Yeah, I guess I guess there's a Gemadar cruiser or something in um in the Alpha Quadrant. If if we're right about that, maybe we're both wrong. Uh mm-hmm. Cal Barrett says, Heart of Stone, I like the episode. The start of Nog's Starfleet Journey, where's my Captain Nog show? And the emotional scenes with Odo, it's a clever way of doing a follow up to the search and delve into the Kira romance at the same time. However, what's the point of the make believe phaser fight that causes Odo to uncover the truth? If there was no Maki fighter, then why would the fake Kira pretend to have a phaser fight that would ultimately reveal the truth? Also Remember in the pilot, Noto says he doesn't use weapons and refuses a phaser. I guess the writers didn't either. I'm being facetious. It's a strong episode. It's a good point. There is no reason for the phaser fight. Um, yeah. I, I, I guess it's kind of there just to lead Odo onto the clue. It, it's it's there on. to provide an out for his story. Like He, he can come up right, with a bit of true. evidence to get out of it, but there, Kyle's mm-hmm. right that there's no reason for it to actually happen. Um, because the... Also... Okay. Oh, no, go ahead. I, I didn't really have anything to say. Well, it's a, it's a separate point. I was just going to make a, a joke saying that if um, that was Kyle Barrett, right? You made that comment? Yes, this is Kyle, yeah. Yeah, he should play STO if he wants Captain Nog to all set. <laughs> oh, is that, is that a part of it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we could say that for a non sequitur, but yeah. Uh, Gerald Swain. I think Gerald is the last one. He is. Heart of Stone. Odo finally confesses his love to Kira. Alas, if only Kira was there to hear it. A good Odo episode where we get to see a different side of him, and this is definitely a strong episode and one where I feel the A-plot and the B-plot complement each other. Both have a character forced to come to terms with their feelings, and both plots end with a painful confession. I was not a fan of Nog in his early episodes, but this is the beginning of him becoming a personal and fan favorite. All in all, a good episode, and it gets a three from me. I agree with you, Gerald. I think it's a, um, I think the plots are thematically aligned, and that, uh, you had mentioned that you didn't need your plots to be the A and B plots to really match up with each other. I... Mm-hmm. I kind of require them to be thematically similar to each other. They don't have to okay. interact with each other, but I think it's a sign of good writing to have related stories next to each other. Like at least you can yeah. sort of like you can see two different characters interacting with one issue or seeing one sort of 
theme be portrayed across multiple storylines. I think that that well, improves well, well, it. Well, just to be well, just to be clear, I mean that's definitely what I prefer too. I mean, I would love it if you know all episodes were like that. But at the same time, I don't think it's like the thing that has to hold the episode up. Yep, is that to be the case? So at the same time, if it doesn't happen, it's not a huge deal. If it does happen, I just love it all the more. So sure, sure. Uh, I guess that's it. So we'll go to final rate. Thank you, patrons, for leaving your comments. Very much appreciated. We'll go to our rating on our one to five scale. Isaac, you can go first. Let us know what you thought about this one. Okay. Um, you requested it, so it must yeah. be fairly high on your. Uh... Right, right, right. Um, honestly, um, I didn't. I don't think going into it, I gave enough credit to uh, to the nog section, um, because I think partly me watching the whole show and kind of already having my set opinion of Nog, I did kind of forget this is kind of where Nog's true character kind of starts um, and how much of an improvement this is over previous outings of Nog in the show. So I, I really can give the episode extra props for that one because my initial thoughts is going to give it maybe a strong three mm-hmm. to like four. Yep. Um, but with that, yeah, I might give it like a strong four. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure it makes it quite the five, but I think it's a very strong four. Um... And I think it's an episode that if you definitely want to get the most out of watching DS9, you, you want to watch. I mean, it's not necessarily required, but at the same time, I think it really like lends a lot to where the show is progressing, moving forward with its characters. Yeah, so, I think it's a... I sort of disagree. I think it's a must-watch, but it's not as strong an episode as its must-watch uh the, like the category, yeah, for designation it. would be. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a, th- I'm gonna give it a three. I think the Nog storyline is actually a four, but the Odo stuff is kind of a, a strong three. Um, and since that's the preponderance, so, I'd give it a three overall. I think. So what's your main detractor of the Odo Kira stuff then? The main detractor is the sidelining of Kira and the sort of timing okay. of this ish- of this relationship issue that they're going to bring about. And I think that the the reset at the end is has been repeated on the show enough where I think it's starting to be a little bit of a letdown when they go that route. Um, Mm. Flipping things back to the beginning is a little bit tough. I love all the Odo. I love the Odo specific stuff, but I think that Mm -hmm. I think there was a better way to break this story into the series than they actually did. And I think that uh, looking at it as like a serialized thing, I think I have to hold it against it a little bit. I I almost feel like this episode is trying to just go ahead and just, let it out all out there for the audience yeah. about Odo's feelings. Yep. Um, because a lot of times in, you know, rom-coms and stuff, like there's a, a big build up to you, the audience hearing from the character. Yes. Is what my true feelings are. So the fact that we, we learned about this just like three or four episodes ago, fascination. And the fact that we already have like a confirmation of yes, Odo definitively loves Kira. Yep. I think is almost like the writer's way of saying, okay, this is now confirmed. Like we're locked in here. Um, well, it feels so. Well, it feels to me like it's a half measure of we're tr- we're going to continue to keep this being episodic because if they actually change something in the relationship, it actually doesn't reset itself like a Star Trek episode. Because if Kira knows what Odo had done, it changes the whole dynamic going forward, and it would be weird for her to not notice it or mention it in future episodes. Here, it feels. It feels like the show does not want to go that far down the path. So what they're doing is having this frustrating cycle of Odo having his feelings exposed so that the audience knows it, but nothing changes in the series. It's just kept the same mm. the entire way through. And I think that's what's frustrating about it at this point, because 
if you have the fascination episode, I'm fine with the audience being revealed at that point from Mrs. Troy that Odo feels that way. Your next step mm-hmm. in the storyline has to be Kira learns about it, I think. Because otherwise okay. you're, you're hovering in the same space. You're not changing anything. So, so what do you think, like at this point in the, in the show, what do you think Kira's reaction would, like the real Kira, uh, what would her reaction be to Odo telling her that he loved her at this point? She'd be flattered but turn him down. Okay. Which I think is appropriate. And I think that is, now we're just rewriting the series. But imagine if that had happened. That gives Odo a reason to want to return home more strongly you know Mm. and he doesn't have that at this point and i think that if you if they change that odo would be torn between two worlds and i think the female changeling should be right at the end kind of like she should she should know something because the founders have written themselves as people who know things they are Mm. they have that kind of wisdom to them um mostly from failed interactions that they've had in the past with other solids that they know that this is what would happen. But I think that um, much as it ties into the the storyline about the abandoned where Odo says, Kira, you were right about the boy. I think Odo needs a little bit of, I would have preferred if Odo had been a little bit shell shocked at this and like been let down by his expectations. And then at that point, would that whole arc end? Like, would that be where, the romantic angle would stop or would you try to slowly like mend things from there? it would continue on but it would add a little bit of tension into the show but now that's a totally different show because that's a much more modern take on it because that would switch things away from this episodic current 90s trek tv so they're, they're stuck in this kind of a pattern but i feel like the show wants to break away from that mm, okay uh let's see so you're gonna give it a four i'm gonna give it a three I think it's a very good episode. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a must watch in my opinion if you are if you're doing like the um condensed no uh no fat on the on the meat kind of watch through of DS9. I think it's kind of one of those episodes that you have to watch for it to make sense. Um yeah, and you'll give it a 4. And you think uh, very you enjoy it very much. You like the two characters. I yeah. I completely agree. I think they're very strong. And that's about it. Uh thank you guys. Patrons, thank you for leaving comments at patreon.com slash the Penske file. You support the show. You can leave some comments about upcoming episodes. We read and we react to them. All the social media will be there. Facebook, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. There's Discord. You can go to the Discord channel, which is now somewhat popular. There's people talking in there occasionally every once in a while. And uh, we have some good conversations. People give recommendations. I love the action figures segment. The action figures <laughs> segment. Having- yeah, there's a lot of photos <laughs> of action figures. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I, I, I sound like I'm being more... Um, uh like sarcastic towards but it is a lot of fun i spend more time on discord than twitter now at this point so that's about it um do you have time for a non sequitur real quick yeah sure all right so there's this little lesser known show that exists from around this era called uh babylon 5 yep (laughs) i'm sure you've heard you know some things some rumblings yeah i hear a bunch a bunch of losers praising this show (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm one of them. <laughs> so, okay, I, I, I have to give my, my two cents. Um, DS9 is my favorite Star Trek show, and Star Trek as a whole is my favorite franchise. Um, I grew up on Star Trek. I'm a huge sci-fi fan. Um, so in terms of my personal favorite show, like it's to what connects to me the most, it probably is DS9. Um, 
But Babylon 5 is the best show mm-hmm. I have ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's without any exaggeration. That's like, that's just flat. <laughs> um, and your name and is I not feel- Michael J. Straczynski or whatever that guy's <laughs> name is. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, funnily enough, I don't know how much you know about the background, but this, the man is pretty much responsible for both shows. Sure. Um, because it's because of the script he wrote for B5 that got sent to Paramount and then they, you know, denied it. But then they're like, oh, that's a pretty cool idea. And then they kind of used that as a blueprint for DS9. So, I've, if anything, this guy is like <laughs> the, the Holy Father <laughs> in terms of this guy gave me both of my favorite shows. Um, <laughs> so, I'll take it. But anyways, yes, I think that this is a show that you would immensely enjoy just based purely off of what you've said so far about DS9, um, obviously even TNG. Um, the show, I would say the main core difference as a show um, of B5 compared to DS9 is that DS9, to me, especially when the main story of DS9 starts to kick in the high gear, I feel like even then, DS9 is a show that really focuses on the world building. Um, it focuses on, you know, the species and the characters and how they're interacting with the story, versus B5 is much more story-centric. Like they're, the, the B5 is very, very dense yep. in its storytelling. Um, and it has a very compelling world. I mean, I, I think it's impressive how interesting the world of B5 is, considering it stands on its own. Like, it doesn't have, like, two other shows like DS9 does. Yeah, it's not a help. franchise, and yeah. Right, it's its own thing. Um, so the world is very, very good in B5, but I think what even impresses me even more about B5 is its story, because it's structured in a way that where it is practically fully serialized, especially when you get to the meat of the show. It is, it is completely serialized, um, and the story is the front and center thing. So it's, it's not so much about let's do all this character stuff to kind of get you in a perspective of what's going on in the world. It's more so, okay, here's why things are happening. Now let's get into the issues. Yep. Um, so yeah, and I think the show is very ahead of its time in its storytelling. Uh, I mean, the show came out pretty much simultaneously. I think B5 probably would have been in its second season while this is going on. So I think it's like a year behind uh, DS9. So, so yeah, I, I think I think it's the show that you would really, really enjoy watching. I would love, I mean, I don't know if you ever have time to ever bring me back. I could give, you know, obviously my thoughts on the show mm-hmm. um, since I've seen it before. Um, I'd love to go with it. I don't know if it's something you ever had in the in the plans to ever do after you're done with DS9 or, or what. But uh, Yeah, it would be it'd be down the line, I guess, depending on how, how quickly all this stuff goes. I have nothing, I have mm-hmm. nothing against Babylon 5. I've never been drawn to it on any level. Um, I probably watch less sci-fi than people think I do. Uh, okay. Because because obviously this is a Star Trek podcast, but um, right. <laughs> I I don't I don't have a a vast wealth of sci-fi influences besides like the sort of the big normal stuff that everybody has. Um, mm-hmm. I have a ex or I have a roommate, yeah, an ex roommate who was huge into Babylon Five and would praise it all the time. He probably poisoned the well slightly just because when people get really excited about something, I tend to withdraw from being excited about it. Um, <laughs> sure, I, I can understand the over overhype. The, I, but I, I don't really... The, the thing about Babylon 5 is I look at it and I don't like the makeup. Like, that's my, like, very dumb take <laughs> on it. Like, I don't... No, li- I'll, I'll... It's funny. Um, my whole... So how actually I got exposed to it, I had a good friend who um, was big in the sci-fi and he kind of shows I liked... Um, I would praise to him about my love of DS9 so much. And one time he just told me, hey man, if you like DS9 so much, you should check out the show called B5, or you know, Babylon 5. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll give it a shot. So he actually gave me um, his ripped files of the whole show. So I would download it on my PC. Um, and 
I think I stopped it twice during watching the pilot because the show, the, the funny enough, the show feels dated by its own standards now. Mm-hmm. Um, because the show was, I think, I think it was one of, if not the first show to fully utilize CGI yeah. for all of its special effects. Yep. And it looks like and I think the show was praised. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, it was praised initially. Just, I mean, it's, it's like the VR thing, right? So, like, when VR first came out, everyone was like, oh my God, it's VR. And, like, anything you put on the VR is a masterpiece because it's a whole new world, right? Yep. But even look, if we look back at VR even five years from you know where we are now. It's like, man, this is this is pretty trash. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, even more so with B five. I mean, all the ships look like something straight out of a PS one game. Um. <laughs> so in the makeup design, it gets better. I mean, I, I think it's pretty much on par with maybe season one DS nine, where like the the art design in DS nine season one is not. The best, especially I think, like early Odo looked like a skeleton. Yeah, they just they, <laughs> they don't have some... it. They don't have it worked out at this point. Yeah, so it's same thing with B five, even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, and the show's style and presentation feels very eighties, even though it's from the nineties. Yep. Um, like its sense of humor is kind of just cringy, almost like dad joke kind of level stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally, it's first season in general. It's just its weakest season. I mean, just just no no holes barred there. It's it's the worst season, but at the same time. It's required because season one goes out of its way to set things up. So you definitely get the most out of the show watching season one, but it's also the hardest season to watch. So it's, it, is, it is a very hard show to get into. I think that is the biggest hindrance of the show is that it is very, very difficult to get going. But once the show gets going, it is, it is so good. Because well, it's still, <laughs> it's still 20 something episodes in a season. Right, it's still buying into that. Um, roughly, yes. I think it's around the same level of like a Star Trek show. Yeah, that's that. Um, that's the. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, I have nothing against it. The the twenty six episodes is a was a mistake back back then. Like they, I, they <laughs> it made sense in the production <laughs> landscape, but twenty six episodes is just way too many episodes. Um, but yeah, I, I will give Babylon Five a try. Maybe we can do it as some sort of a patreon perk or something just to get it to get it rolling i don't really have anything against it there's no reason not to it would be difficult to do it with okay. a star trek podcast at the same time because they're so similar uh, not similar but there's the same amount of work for each of them um sure yeah i can understand and that. i'll and matthew ross will get very excited that you've brought up babylon 5 obviously <laughs> um do i have a non sequitur no i don't but i think that um uh, there's always a chance I might I I could once Star Trek runs out, who knows? Or even after DS9 okay. runs out, what what would happen to Babylon Five? Well, I, I think it's a very good carryover show, especially off of DS9. Um, I mean, obviously, out of all the Star Trek shows, it bears the most resemblance to DS9. I mean, the shows, both shows' premises are almost identical. Yeah. Um, the shows go in very different directions, obviously, but you know, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I think B5 is a very good show. Um, to go through if you have the perception of being a Star Trek fan. I think, I, think, I think having Star Trek as a whole in your mind while going through B5 is pretty cool because then you get to see you know, how the show takes those elements and makes it its own. Um, it becomes its own thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind, kind of like how I've, I've loved watching um, Clay's reaction to DS9 and comparing it off with TNG. And it's like, well, this show is, you know, it's doing its own thing. It's very much the similar vein between DS9 and B5, sure, where sure. it feels like this is, you know, it's it's using these elements, but it's using them in a different way. And the more the show continues, the more it becomes its own animal. So. Yeah, we'll give it a give it a whirl. I don't uh, I don't have a non sequitur. Awesome, but I, you will not regret it. I, I promise you. <laughs> I'll, I'll hold you to that. And um, okay, as I, as I sit there miserably watching it, um, no, I, I I'm sure I'd enjoy it. 
The, I, I think it's up for streaming now too. I think I don't Amazon. think it's on Netflix yeah. or anything. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Although so. apparently there's something wrong with the special effects, but I, I don't know enough to talk about it. But oh, I, um, let me see here. My non sequitur is uh, this is going up Thursday, so I'm going to be doing since the Patreon has met its new goal level, we have to do two podcasts a month. So we're doing an AMA for the first one. So you guys can leave your comments on the Patreon, or um, I guess that would be the, you can email them in, but you have to be a Patreon uh, supporter to get that podcast. So we're doing an Ask Me Anything. There'll be a bunch of questions. We'll go through them and try to get them in as soon as possible after you listen to this episode. You might have already turned this off, though. So if you don't, you don't. Isaac, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Wes. I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Um, We're done with Heart of Stone. The next episode is Destiny. Let me click this real quickly. Yes, Destiny is the next episode. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.